0: Long time I felt without style or grace Wearing shoes with no socks in cold weather. I knew my heart. Husband-
1: Welcome to Live Culture. I'm your host, Martha Willett-Lewis. Live Culture is a monthly program about art and culture, and this month I'm delighted to have as my guest Beatrice Galilee, who is the founder and executive director of The World Around, which is currently in residency at the Guggenheim Museum. And I also have Cyra Levinson, who is deputy director and Gail Engelberg director of education and public engagement at the Guggenheim Museum in New York, and the two of them are going to tell me about what this project is all about. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi, I'm turning up your sound levels. So The World Around, um, it's an enormous project, and it's kind of itinerant. It used to be at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and it, it takes place digitally around the world, so I was hoping you could talk about a little bit about what it is. What's the sound bite for... What the project is.
0: Thanks so much um, for having for having the world around on Mother. it's, oh, it's uh, so exciting! It's so great to be here. <laughs> um, so the world around is uh, it's an itinerant a nonprofit institution that's dedicated to um, the best stories in global contemporary architecture and we have a strong focus on social, environmental and spatial justice mm-hmm. um, and we do that by sharing um, and championing the best uh, people, individuals collaborations um, and um, putting forward to our um, audiences um, like new ideas, progressive values um, and we're we trying to be, I guess, the sort of foundational um, source to find out information about what's great, what's interesting, and what's inspiring in architecture today.
1: Well, and it seems like it's quite successful. The um, the inaugural one you did in New York City at the Times Center in 2020, and you had a theater of 400 attendees but 50,000 views on your live stream, which is, you know, astonishing, at least to <laughs> me. Um, and I don't know what it was like at the Guggenheim this year. You did another one uh, similarly.
0: Yes, um, well, yeah, Sarah, um generously invited us to be part of a residency, one-year residency program at the Guggenheim um, mm-hmm. following the success of our first event, and um, it's a really interesting model because it allows us, uh, which is a very, very small, nimble, uh, fast-paced, um, you know, very uh, light-moving uh, institution to, to collaborate with something as sort of Venerable and, and and powerful and global as the Guggenheim and our event that we did in January was an all-day conference dedicated to the now near and next in architecture and we um, we put on a, a day long event that was hybrid. So um, it was I was in person at the Guggenheim, so was Syrah, and uh, we cut two pre recorded uh, short documentary pieces where we visited architects at the buildings themselves, and they walked us through the spaces and told us stories about the projects that they had just completed in the last year.
1: And where were all of these places and people? Can you list some of them? some of the uh, well, countries and had, participants? Yeah, we
0: had people in, totally, we had people in Abu Dhabi um, talking about a uh, sort of new alternative to Portland cement that Ooh. uses the mm-hmm. um, the salt uh, flats um, in Abu Dhabi. Um, we had speakers in Melbourne who had, in, had hypothesized a science fiction future where the whole planet um, population moves to Australia and lives in Australia together um, and lets the rest of the world heal um, For for um, as, a, as a sort of sci-fi model of a future world. Uh, we had people speaking from Mexico City um, about a new film um, from Monterey, a new movie that was out on Netflix. Um, we had people in Shanghai, uh, Stockholm, Tokyo, uh, Nairobi, Johannesburg, London, uh, so we uh, yeah, we try to, to be as global as we possibly can be, um, which uh, I think being online really, really helped with that, you know, to have that kind of global push.
1: It's so wonderful. So one of the things I really liked about the way that you had done this was you divided the day into sections of pollinators, keepers, and builders, and there's a strong sustainability and human justice element to this that I really respond to. Um, but the other thing is that, Doing something like this that was so global and and connecting people seems extra important during the pandemic um, and in a time when Mm -hmm. most of us are under lockdown and feeling very isolated, particularly in this country with the government at the time. It was incredibly isolating, so it's sort of wonderful to have that sense of being a citizen of the world. Um,
0: I don't know if it felt different to you because of that, but... (laughs) It felt like I think people were saying it was kind of like an armchair uh, tour around the world. you know it was really um, it was a, it was a very inspiring day. I mean maybe Sarah could speak to this um, as more of an, more of a um, a spectator to, to some extent, but it was um, it was very exciting to be part of it to, to make it happen we the way that we um, filmed it was, due to the pandemic was quite complex because we had to send cameras individual cameras to people all over the world so we had a tiny four, 4K video cameras and a light and we packaged them up and FedEx them to people in Johannesburg to people in um, in Spain uh, we sent one uh, up to Accra so we you know we were trying to um, get people to film themselves that was not on their their laptops so we mm-hmm. wanted to try and avoid the zoom right uh, typology right of, work um, on the quality level of it mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was uh, also actually an idea that we came up with The Guggenheim was like, how can we make something that really lasts, that isn't just this one day event that, you know, you're kind of there on the day, but then the quality isn't really good enough to, to last. And mm-hmm. uh, we wanted to make these films and, and kind of create for the residency, like a real authentic contribution um, to our institution. So it was really exciting to 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 think about it almost like a docu- series of documentary.
1: So if people wanted to watch these films, they could watch it where?
0: So the whole event um, is now divided into short films, so you mm-hmm. can watch each of the presentations as individual kind of 15-minute, 10-minute um, clips, um, and they're on the World Around's website, which is theworldaround.com, mm-hmm. um, and also the Guggenheim YouTube channel has the entire day, so you can, you can see the whole event as it's as hand it out on the Guggenheim's YouTube
1: I kind of love the idea that you're sending and off the, the messages like um, through Carrier Pigeon or messages in a bottle. You're mailing these things <laughs> off and hoping that they get there. Um, Syra, do you want to weigh in a little bit on, on what what drew you to this project? And wanted why, why did you want to bring it to the Guggenheim so much? And how did it feel to be doing it?
2: Yes, absolutely. And thanks, Martha, for having us. Oh, it's so good to have um, you on the um, show again. Glad to be here. Um, I think that, you know, over the course of the last year, as we all um, sort of had to contend with what the pandemic means and also what the pandemic illuminated that was always there and maybe not as visible to all of us, um, there's been a a real sort of reckoning about um, what it means to be an art museum. And um, also, you know, I'm a diehard believer in the importance of, standing in front of an object to have yeah. a work of art, let's just say, uh, or an architectural experience in a space to have the full sensory understanding of it. Um, but this last year actually demonstrated to us, uh, I work you know, in education and public programs and public engagement that in fact, there are um, equally valuable things to be gained from uh, having experiences in your own house, from your own house and connecting out into the broader world. And so this um, this particular topic to explore space and the kind of space that, spaces that we create and uh, the benefits and also the, the damages that the way we've approached the built environment have created um, seems, again, especially um, pertinent this year when none of us can move. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We're all paying um, a lot more attention so- to our, our homes as well. Humble exactly. as they may be, so we're having, <laughs> exactly. We're having both a universal experience of containment, mm-hmm. um, and I hope um, also a somewhat universal desire to connect with each other. Yeah. And so, this kind of hybrid ability to bring people together in a virtual space, but um, with uh, great attention to the kind of experience and to the quality of um, the, the footage and the, you know, the. Opportunities for engagement, engagement um, seems like a perfect combination. And also, you know, the the Guggenheim is an iconic architectural space, and um, it's one of the primary reasons that so many of our visitors tell us they come Mm -hmm. to the museum. And so, to have um, an ongoing exploration of not just our space. But also our space as a kind of convening space and as a civic space and as a conceptual space to think about architecture uh, is really important. And in order to do that well, we needed a partner who was um, thinking deeply, and that is Beatrice and the world around. So that's how we came to the idea in this past year. And I,
1: Beatrice is obviously very comfortable doing gigantic projects. You're, you've done uh, biennales, triennials, exhibitions all over the world. Um I imagine that there's some real challenges not only getting the uh finding the right the right people to participate, but also then getting them the equipment to make it look good like you were saying. And then considerations like language. Um I'm I'm interested in how you dealt with translation or was this um was it sort of simulcast? What did you do to make it so that people could communicate globally? Yeah.
0: Um it was, there were some interesting challenges, I mean, time zones, um, yeah. you know, we had meetings with people in China where we were trying to figure out, um, you know, which, whether it was 11 p.m. for them and 11 a.m. for us, or, you know, it was it was uh, a lot of fun uh, working on these types of events where you have people um, stationary, but all over the world, and, Sometimes, when you're working on events in the sort of old, olden times, um, people were just constantly moving. And so you couldn't really plan anything. But because everybody was stationary, we can plan to send cameras. You know, we know they're going to be there on the other end to sign for them. Um, you can kind of figure everything out. We um, we had a number of um, translation projects. So we had a, a, our uh, Pulitzer Prize winner Rüdiger Schiessauer uh, presented one of his latest projects, which is an extraordinary building in Chile um, that had, he has just completed. Um, and he presented in in Japanese, and we just worked with a translator in Japan to film him and translate for us and provide us the. The translations and we worked with um, actually it was quite interesting to work in the Yucatan in Mexico where we worked with um, uh, Mexican architects called Comunal, and they specifically work with um, a group of um, an indigenous community of Mayan um, people who live in the Yucatan who are working to um, try to create uh, visibility for the way that they build the vernacular architecture of their community Um but finding a translator for for Mayan um, <laughs> is difficult, even in Mexico. Yeah. Um, so that was that was interesting. So we we worked with a specialty a special um, translator for that. Um, and then in general, I think that actually translation is such a a um, uh, great opportunity when you're working online that we can yes. provide. You know, we really want to push forward with. Um, having multiple languages for the world around, and and that's something that we're really hoping to do in the future.
1: So that does seem like a real advantage to doing things online and with all of the technology that's available and and will be available soon. Um, It must make it so much easier. So this obviously took quite a long time to prepare and I assume that you personally spend a lot of time combing through projects and what's going on in the world and what people are doing to prepare for something like this. Do you, what, what is coming next? What are you up to at the Guggenheim?
0: Yeah, it's a kind of my, my kind of ongoing work is, mm-hmm. is kind of combing through things and, and uh, trying to get a sense of what's happening and get ahead of big stories in architecture and, and, and uh, try to identify the people, the places, the stories that we think are, you know, the direction of, of, um, of interest in the discipline, really. Um, so we, yesterday we did some, oh, no, on, on Thursday we did an event Birthday. for Earth Day, yeah. um, which is very important for, for our institution, um, we like to uh, put forward innovation in in te- like technology, technological in- innovation, but also climate change innovation, mm-hmm. um, however, in whichever form it takes. Um, so that was a big event for us. And we're working on a project um, at the end of the year that um, also digs a little bit deeper into the story of vernacular architecture um, around um, indigenous communities mm-hmm. and looking at... Um, very specific stories um, with architects who um, we're, we find interesting, and actually the Guggenheim um, is supporting us in that. They have a, a working group um, dedicated to uh, this type of research. So that's a very exciting, exciting project that we have yeah, in person a- at the end of the year. So
1: oh, wait, so, wait, sorry, I started to interrupt you to say that again.
0: Um, we're planning to do that at the Guggenheim at the end of the year. In person? So we'll be online, uh, broadcast online, and we'll be there in person at the museum again. I'm not sure if we'll be able to let people in, but, uh, we'll be there in person. That's, f- so I'm really
1: interested in, um, in traditional methods of things and sustainability, um, because I'm very worried about losing the, the techniques, the crafts, the knowledge, uh, especially things that haven't been well published in books. Um is that something that you're addressing there?
0: yeah, definitely. and I think that we are we're also looking at um the world around and the Guggenheim is uh, we're we're interested in the future, mm-hmm. so it's not just um ideas that have you know happened over you know previous generations and so on, but it's really about like applying um knowledge and and sort of putting a spotlight on stories and people mm-hmm. that we think are extremely um, meaningful and could be kind of, um, you know, these sort of lighthouse projects where it just really guides the direction, a direction of thought, a direction of travel for the discipline. Um, right, right. So there are Some people who are very, very excited to be um, talking to you about that.
1: It's, it's interesting that this has such a human face to it, that it's about stories, about architecture. Um, Saira, is that one of the things that drew you to it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Beatrice and I have had a number of conversations about um, how you bring uh, sort of a broader and more democratic perspective to a discipline that's um, that's so often speaking to itself. I mean, one of the things about architecture, right, is that we all experience it. Yeah, you know, we all we all we all move in and out of spaces. And again, you know, working in the Guggenheim, it's such a unique kind of space and such a unique spatial experience. Mm-hmm that the building creates for people in it. Um, and yes, it's important to understand the sort of technical side of the discipline, but there's also a lot of theoretical and even pedagogical um, concepts behind architecture. And it's something that uh, Beatrice and I have been talking quite a bit about. And to, to my mind, if, if people are going to have more agency over the kind of spaces that they inhabit and that are created in the future, they need to you know, have a chance to kind of speak speak to, speak back to, form and shape the ideas that will then shape the spaces that they're part of. And so, you know, as a as a public educator, somebody who thinks about, um, you know, sort of opening up disciplines mm-hmm. and, and, and creating interdisciplinary conversations even, but that are always grounded in, again, the individual sensory perceptual experience and and giving people opportunities to to fine tune those kinds of experiences and to understand them but to also know the limitations of them
0: mm-hmm.
2: um it really appealed to me to have a partner who thinks about that from a specific discipline but with also a, an interest and in fact an urgency to bring a broader uh kind of a broader dialogue to the mm-hmm. to there and um is it okay if I ask Beatrice a question? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, oh, she just lost our connection, so I will. Uh, she said she's uh, good. I'm here. Okay, know. good. I was wondering what
1: yeah. the bleeping was.
2: Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I was going to ask you if you would mind sharing what we were talking about yesterday around the sort of the notions of of, of architecture beyond just the discipline that creates
0: buildings. Yeah, absolutely and this is something I I'm, I'm very passionate about in my in my writing and in in my curatorial work is that architecture is uh, goes far beyond um just the built environment and um you know I, I like to sort of talk about the different spheres of of influence for architecture as it's kind of symbolic and immater- material and immaterial practices mm-hmm. of architecture um where you have architecture that that means something as a sign, and then you have these immaterial um, ways of thinking about architecture, which is all of the needs and wants that occur in a, in a space of desires to create a change. <clears throat> and all of those things are all the lead up to the building being created, um, and they need to be discussed, and they need to be dissected, um, because those are the things that eventually are manifest in the building itself. And so I um really love this poem that was presented at the World Around by Diana Van Buren, she said that we build our values, yeah, and essentially when you're looking at architecture, you look at not just the material choices but you look at the choices to make those material choices, and um it's so important to me to see architecture as this continuum um of forces and influences and um and values um that we have to start to unpack um why do we need to build a museum what are the forces that create the um need for that museum to exist and what are the material uh, trails you know there's um all of the kind of uh, investment into um, dissecting and you know moving materials from A to B, from um, place to place. I think that 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 sort of will to um, extract from the earth to um, create waste, um, all of these issues around the fabrication of architecture are becoming more and more sensitive. Mm-hmm. There's like a movement you know, to, to to think about something like non-extractive architecture. How do you create non-extractive architecture? Very, yeah.
1: Non-extractive yes. architecture—I um, like that.
0: Uh, and and the winners of the of the uh, the Pritzker Prize this year, which is the most important prize in architecture, uh, Lapaton Lassalle—they um, are this French uh, duo, and their their philosophy is do nothing. Um, as architects, oftentimes the materials that we need in the twenty-first century to build are already there. Mm-hmm do not need to, to build more buildings. Oftentimes you just need to uh, rethink. There is, this, there is this, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll tell you one quick anecdote. Yeah, no, great. Of an, of a, an example of this type of practice. Mm-hmm. There was a, a studio, an architecture studio in London, who were asked to redesign, to design an extension for a school. And the, um, the, the, the professors of the school were saying, you know, that the, the reason that they need the extension is that the students are crowding the hallways that there is, um, you know, there is too many students for the, for the building and every, cl- every time that the classes change that the, um, the school becomes absolutely unbearable and there's bullying that goes on and there's problems mm-hmm. between the young kids and the older kids. So they wanted to build an extension. And the, the architects looked at the problem and they looked at the school and they saw that there was plenty of classrooms and that the actual solution to the problem was not building, was a new L. Right. It's the flow. The, the, there's a flow problem, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. It's not a space problem. It's a logistical problem. It's, mm-hmm. a, um, it's a problem of, um, of movement of people. And mm-hmm. often architects uh, don't take that step back and think, like, what's the, what's the reason that you want this building? Is it really necessary? Can we rethink it? Mm-hmm. Um, can we propose something that has way less impact on the environment? That is
1: such a, that's such a good thing. And, you know, I think about so many spaces that have been designed either without listening to people or asking them wh- how they're going to use it or with, or with people not being able to give them the right answers, but spaces that just kind of don't work right and where people then have to kind of inhabit the space by kind of jury-rigging it to fit their needs more. Um, which is kind of interesting. It's a way mm-hmm. of in interacting with architecture, but it's but it's not a very helpful beginning. Um, so I think asking the right questions and then sort of reimagining what's already there makes a lot of sense, and it's certainly a more sustainable well, can solution. Also
2: on, hmm? Right. Another way to think about this um, really important concept that we build our build our values, and I think this is a place where entities like the world around or the Guggenheim that gives space for ideas to emerge and for people to contemplate things and to contemplate them together. You know, who's shaping those values, as you say, Martha, Um, you know, and is there an, uh, is there an eye to um, kind of moving away from this extractive sort of colonial way of thinking about Mm -hmm. space and who moves through it and who makes those decisions and, you know, so you know, in our in our efforts together, we considered this residency an opportunity to think about the intersection of architecture and equity, mm-hmm. and um, also to think about sustainability. Yes, as about you know, the use of materials, but also about um, you know places for civic exchange. For um, borrowing a term from our partnership with For Freedom Civic Joy, Civic Joy, um, yes, and you know. As, as a space where um, there's a broader there's a broader perspective, um, and, and, a, and a recentering of who's making the decisions, and that the people who are going to use the space, um, you know, are considered the experts.
1: Yes, inclusion is such a huge part of this, and I think about the way that that in cities buildings people don't really have very much choice things get built you know in New York there's those big needle skysc- skyscrapers that are going up and a lot of people have been upset about you know the the shadow on the sheep meadow and what it's going to do to the environment and other things and I um I feel like we we have very little say in what happens in many of our in many of our cities here in the in the states and I'm sure it's the same throughout the world um it feels very separate from from me <laughs> or you um mm-hmm. that that you know there's city planners that okay things and there's teams of architects that put things together and there's people who are going to profit from it um but it feels very distant and what you're talking about feels a lot closer um having these conversations makes it feel like it's more of a partnership
2: well that's the hope and i think again you know, to if if um one of the things, another sort of transformative moment for me in our January event was um, one of our presenters who uh, organized a project called Feral Atlas said in our we had a um, great name a conversation session mm-hmm. um, that that the climate solution at this point is not a it's not a scientific or technological challenge. We know how to fix it. It's a geopolitical, cultural right. crisis of imagination and creativity, and so. You know, as an art museum and as a as a public space, and again, for the world around, as a as a, a space of convening and creating conversations, we take that responsibility really seriously to present you know the imaginary that doesn't yet exist, but from people who um, can can show us a different path and from a with a global perspective. And so, you know, for if, if we're leading in sustainability, yes, it's about you know better energy use and and You know, waste management, et cetera, et cetera. But it's also about a different kind of vision for what the future can look like, and different dialogues with different people at the table.
1: So, can you talk a little bit more specifically about the Earth Day events? Like, what was the day
2: like? Just for people who yeah, we had two different things going. But um, Beatrice can tell you a bit about the world around, and then I'll jump in with something we did with uh, a group of students as well. Great. Okay.
0: So um, the world around did a takeover of uh, the Guggenheim's social media uh, mm-hmm. account, their Instagram account, and we um, dug into some questions um, to some of our speakers from the January event, and um, trying to draw out really the, the fundamental role that architects and designers and the creative industries have in reimagining the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just uh, as Cyrus said about uh, a technological solution we need um, really I think that the role of creative people um, in this moment is absolutely fundamental like we are the we are the people that see you know can see different ways that the world can um, can be formed. And Absolutely. a lot of the speakers from the world around um, are advocating for the use of imagination and the use of creativity and, um, in creating and inspiring people to, to change and inspiring leaders to change. And it's not just about individual accountability, and I think maybe for too long there has been this kind of obsession with, like, governments subcontracting guilt to individuals, but actually we need leaders and we need big industry and we need governments to, to take this on. Um, yes. That's what we need. And um, and I think that the, um, you know, the, the climate change movement has has achieved that, I really do. And I think that we're at a, a really interesting tipping point Um the speakers that we had, um, as I mentioned before, this a group called uh, YY, um, who are based in Abu Dhabi, who propose a solution to Portland cement, uh, yeah. which is one of the most. Uh, I think something like eight percent of um, carbon emissions come from the creation of concrete.
1: And and why? Um, do you, and and can you talk c- a little bit about Portland cement for listeners who might not know what it is and why it's so important?
0: Well Portland cement is, is, is what makes concrete. Um and that is uh one of the, the fundamental building materials. Um I guess everybody is familiar with concrete. Um
1: But it makes it it makes cement uh, into it's, something it's, harder and more durable.
0: Right, exactly. And so it is um it, the, it, it's an extractive process, and it is um, it releases a huge amount of carbon um, into the atmosphere as a as a fabrication process. That's interesting. And the group that we're talking to um, have uh, tried to invent a new way to create um, Portland cement using um, uh, off off kind. Um, it, it's a very elaborate process. and I encourage people to watch the film to to fully understand it. Do you
1: actually see them um, processing in, it on the film? You can watch them. You can watch them yeah, do it.
0: You can watch them. It, it's a it's a it's an experimental, um, uh, scientific. But you know, essentially, it's a it's a presence of imagination. They're trying to imagine what if we used um, the salt flats. Um, of Abu Dhabi and uh, and um, the Emirates region. mm mm-hmm to create building materials. Um, what if we didn't have to constantly go through this extractive process? Right. What if there were other ways to build? What if there are other materials? And you look back into the vernacular architecture of that region and found that indeed there are entire cities that were built using um, using salt, um, especially oh, using offcuts from salt. Um, and so there are all these very experimental, very imaginative ways of thinking about architecture. And to your earlier point, Um, about the role of citizens in the creation of architecture, there are many people who I regard as architecture role Mm -hmm. who are activists, you know, who are community leaders, Mm -hmm. um, who change spaces by um, gathering, connecting, and um, making their voices heard. And, and changing policy. And so many times um, people I invite to speak at the World Around are not practicing architects, but they're people who make changes through other ways of changing spaces, such as um, the, the work of the Wide Awakes or these groups of um, Uh, community leaders who try to galvanize issues and galvanize communities around certain issues. Mm -hmm. Rebuilding, regenerating, making urban farms, um, you know, uh, redesigning schools so they're they're, um, more approachable, more easy to use for for younger students, for disabled students, and so on and so forth. Um, So many times when we think about changing space, it's not not just in the hands of architects, um, it's in the hands of all of us.
1: Yes. So one of the things that I've always felt about artists and architects, um, one of our values that that is is frequently underplayed or even made fun of uh, by the rest of the world would be our ability to imagine the future and and come up with things that seem crazy at the time, but then, you know, they they become our reality. If you had told me when I was small that we'd all be carrying around, you know, heavy, fragile glass telephones, I wouldn't have believed it. I'm not sure this is a great example. But, I mean, like, it, what artists do is they they imagine things um, that don't exist. And this is actually quite useful and, and quite important, I think. And the the ability to play with things um, and existing ideas and materials and things in different ways is is so important. And to be able to gather so many different kinds of people, to have these kinds of conferences and discussions it seems essential right now because we really are in a crisis. So I just think this is a really, really on wonderful project.
2: Thank you. And can I just pick up on that thread of what you said for a minute, because it's been front of mind for me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the other project that we were working on at the Guggenheim on Earth Day was um, a convening of college students from um, uh, Spain, Italy, Abu Dhabi, the um, New York, Uh, students in those four locations where the Guggenheim has um, connections um, or institutions in the case of Venice and Bilbao, but they were a global group of students. And um, we, we worked with a partner named Tony Patrick, who is a filmmaker, a game designer, comic book uh, um, writer, and an artist um, on a world building exercise. And, Mm One of the things, and I'll talk a little bit about what what world building is, um, but one of the things that I've been taking note of over this past year as we work with students, um, particularly students in their age range of maybe 12 to 18 or 12 to 20, um, is that we have have a, a really palpable crisis in that generation wherein it's very difficult for them to see a healthy future Mm -hmm. to imagine, um, you know, the, the planet surviving and, um, and in particular for students, um, who, um, who live in, um, in, in, uh, in urban areas or students who live in BIPOC communities The kind of in the United States, at least the kind of, um, the, the racialized violence on top of the climate crisis on top of the pandemic, um, it really left that generation, I think, at a loss for how to imagine the future. And to your point about the work of artists and designers and uh, creative people, I feel like as a cultural institution, as an art museum, our most um, urgent call at the moment is to introduce as many of those students, as many people in that generation, to the types of thinkers that Beatrice has brought to us through the world around, mm-hmm. um, so that those connections can happen and and that we... We introduce that kind of thinking, yes. that kind of imagination that translates into really being able to envision and move towards a different reality, a different kind of physical space, a different kind of civic space together. That has to happen right now because we're at a crossroads. And so um, our partner in this endeavor, Tony Patrick, who is a world builder, and world building comes from um, the fields of uh Uh, Movie making, science fiction, speculative fiction, the notion, right, is that in order to create a storyline or characters and have it be really sort of authentic, you need to first think about the whole entire universe that they would inhabit. And then the storylines and the people in it start to make sense. But the concept of world building has also been applied to think about – uh changes in in, um, in the actual physical world, in urban environments, there's an amazing project in St. Louis where a whole bunch of community leaders got together for a couple of weeks and imagined a different world for their city. And then technologists were able to build it in the virtual space that so people could, you know, actually oh, move cool. around it. And yeah. so
1: I um, just I so just want to interrupt her- you wait a minute. I just want to interrupt you for one minute because I need to say that you are listening to WPKN 89.5 FM and streaming online at WPKN.org. This is Live Culture. I'm your host, Martha Willette Lewis, and I'm in discussion with Beatrice Galilee, who is the founder and executive director of the World Around, which is currently at the Guggenheim Museum, and Syra Levinson, who is deputy director. And Gail Engelberg, director of education and public engagement at the Guggenheim Museum in New York, and we're talking about the fascinating things that they are doing. And Syra was telling us about world building. Sorry, I just had to put in that that moment for people who are just pick, tuning in now. Sorry, Thanks for
2: making me take a breath. <laughs> Sorry, Syrah. <I>
1: <laughs> but I people know. turn it tune in to the ready. radio at various points. Not everybody starts at the beginning.
2: They have no idea what we're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Well, one of the things, so, so we had this exercise with about 30 college students who are literally from all over the globe working with Tony on, you know, creating new values, creating new artifacts, creating new visions um, for for sustainability, you know, in the space of art museums, but also more broadly speaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, their incredible climate change impacts in the city of Venice, um, for example, Um as, you know, as well as in many of the places where this in all the places the students that have it and after the 90-minute workshop together this was the most striking thing um, Tony asked the participants for just one word to it, um, kind of encapsulate how they felt at the end of the experience and we heard hopeful inspired oh. connected oh it was it was just such a that's wonderful powerful and palpable experience it says it's not that this is impossible. It's that we have to reprioritize. We have to take the time. We have to make the connections. This is what we have to do now. And it's about um, empowering people. It's as, so true. As, yeah. Yeah. So, so. Anyways, that was my soapbox.
1: No, that was absolutely <laughs> fabulous, and it sounds like an, an incredible day. And are you going to have more of the, I mean, the Earth Day is, in my mind, It's one day isn't enough. Um, every day is Earth Day until we solve this absolutely whatever solving absolutely. it means so, and
2: that's, again, well that's why it was so important to work with the world around not just to have you know one conference or one dialogue or bring you know architects and designers and and activists together in our space one time but it's like it's got to be an ongoing commitment and it has mm-hmm. to be a long-term dialogue and again with the world building exercises we're just getting started and i'm expecting that this process will also expand i'm hoping this becomes our new school tour program for mm-hmm. high school students um, we're going to bring other stakeholders into dialogue with us. And um, this is just the beginning. This is fabulous. From my perspective. This is fabulous. Uh, so
1: the next World Around official event is going to take place, will it be in January of next year, or is there something a little sooner?
2: Hello? Beatrice, are you still here?
0: Oh yeah Hi, um yeah we'll be doing um uh the next official event will be uh, we'll announce at the um I guess probably next month or the month after we'll have a, a final date but yeah there will be one more event um this year as part of the residency um and we will continue to do our annual summit uh, which is a it's our a, a kind of roundup of the year's big ideas. Um, that's our kind of signature event. And if, um, if somebody wanted to attend the, the summit,
1: you- if somebody wanted to attend the summit virtually, can you you can just watch it online? Is it free? Is there a ticket involved? Like what are what are what are the nuts and bolts of of seeing this in action?
0: um well the best thing to do will be subscribe to the world around newsletter and then mm-hmm. you'll get information on how to um catch up with all of the content that's online now um but also how to buy tickets for in-person events and how to stream for free great. um all of our online events that's great um we don't have a ticket Yeah, it's really important to us that um, and our aboard um, that the world around is something that has a big, broad reach. Um, we want as many people as possible to see the content, to be inspired, um, to feel changed um, once they've once they've seen these ideas. And so, yeah, we try to avoid putting constraints, financial constraints in particular. That's terrific.
1: Although, although it does have one constraint, which is that you, one needs to have the internet, which is apparently been a really big issue uh during this past year with with students trying to learn online and so forth the the technology issue
2: yeah such such an important point and i um um one that we're tackling at least in our world at the guggenheim thinking about routinely um one of the things that um we're doing together, and Beatrice uh, talked about this a bit, is um, we we will have a fall event at the museum, again, that will be a hybrid of the digital digital and in-person, we hope. um, Mm -hmm. Is the museum open? Sorry. Is the museum actually open now? Yes. The the museum is open. Yeah, we're open five days a week. And... um, again, all the content lives on our website. It doesn't answer your question, Martha, explicitly about how we handle the um, connectivity question. But I think where we're starting from is um, let's produce the content. And it is important that it be an event. It happens at a specific time and place. We had an incredible um, chat actually going over the course of the day in -hmm. in real time. And um, we had live panels, et cetera. But the rest of the content, all of that content, then lives on forever in the, in the digital space, and at least the hope is that people would be able to access it, um, you know, after the fact. Or um, it's a fantastic it resource, require yeah. require being present just on that in that given moment. Um, yeah. So, but we will we will have another event focused on. Uh, Indigenous practices in architecture and sustainability in the Americas um, at the Guggenheim. Um, this fall and a date to be announced soon.
1: That sounds really exciting. Is there anything, um, Beatrice? Can you give us any sneak peeks, or is it still so much in the in the planning stages that that would be? I'm just curious about who and what.
0: Yeah, there are. Um, there's a number of people that we're that we're talking to. Um, there's a. Uh, some architects that I know that i i would love to share with the um, our audiences um but they we haven't quite started um, announcing participants yet, so I don't want to give too much away, Um, but we're very excited about it. I think the format is going to be great as well because we're really, I think, together with the Guggenheim, trying to rewrite the way that architecture events happen, Um, and this is something that's super important to to both of us, which is how do you make architecture accessible, how do you create audiences um, that really can rally around architecture be literate in architecture and feel part of the conversation around architecture um and that is something that um we're hoping to finesse again in the in the event in the fall where we we'll, we work very closely with a fantastic production um video company and uh, we're trying to get um even wider views we're, we're collaborating with a online tv network as a kind of distribution partner um so eventually we're we're trying to build Um, almost like a TV-style audience, um, as well as the in-person, kind of curated Mm -hmm. conference-style conversation.
1: That sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah, we're very excited. Yeah, no, it sounds really
1: exciting. And so you have this residency here for this year. Um, Are you Mm -hmm. going to stay on at the Guggenheim, or... Is the plan to move on to another location? So far, you've been at two very large institutions, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and the Guggenheim. Um.
0: Yeah, I was um, a curator at the, at the Metropolitan Museum for five years. Mm-hmm. And the one around is um, a separate... I, was, um, I, I developed my own uh, public program while I was a curator at the Met um, that was called A Year of Architecture in a Day. And, um, actually it was so successful in terms of audience that that the final event that we organized there, um, was so oversubscribed that we had people lined up all the way through the Mets, Egyptian halls, and around wow. the corner, like about, you had know, like a, a line of a thousand people trying to, to get into an auditorium of 700 people that was absolutely full.
1: Wow. Um, Were you expecting so that? Was that know. a total surprise? <laughs> I mean, that's astonishing.
0: Um, yeah, it was it was um uh yeah, it was unexpected and <laughs> and we felt and you know, it was of course unfortunate in in some ways because people who wanted to to see it couldn't we had an overflow room of 250 people. Mm-hmm. Um so we know that there's an audience for for architecture in New York. Um oh, yeah. and we believe that the Guggenheim is, you know, really makes so much sense for it to be the the heart of that conversation. I mean, the building is um is sensational and, a, and a, an icon in so many ways and also what the guggenheim has achieved with bilbao is, you know synonymous i think as an institution with with contemporary architecture mm-hmm. um, I agree. so it makes a lot of sense um for us to be part of this conversation so we're you know the world around is, is brand new and, and we're yeah we're just delighted um to be part of this this amazing organization honestly it's great And
1: I think, like I said before, because of lockdown, um, everyone during COVID uh, has—probably globally, I don't want to speak for everybody in the world, but uh, certainly in my area and in the country here— we've all experienced our own architecture so much more intimately than we ever had before and I think we all know that we have different preferences than we might have thought we had at the beginning and I do know that people have been busily readapting their spaces and rethinking their own spaces so hopefully that's actually been a kind of um, prep for the kind of pro- deeper bigger projects that you're talking about that, that kind of gets people ready to to participate in something like that to feel like they're able able and willing and, you know, ready to go because they've already been doing it themselves in their own spaces.
2: Well, it's actually been one of the aha moments for us as educators that, um, this past year because we made a decision early on the beginning of the pandemic that we were going to highlight with our educational programming live interactions, right? Mm-hmm. So we weren't promoting curriculum materials or recorded videos, but we've been teaching um free tours for New York City public school students. All of our school programs have been virtual, our studio art classes. We've been sending art kits out with materials and um, then following them up with instruction uh, and conversation and dialogue. And Fantastic. some things have evolved that were, again, surprising to us in that conversation. First of all, we've had schools in South Korea, in Nebraska, in New Jersey, um, all over the place that you know, would never actually have come to the museum interested and coming to us for information and the, the topics that are the most uh the the most often requested are about artists as activists mm-hmm. and about um contemporary issues and you know understanding the the way that con- that contemporary art practice c- connects with things like sustainability with mm-hmm. racial equity with the issues that we're contending with and um we always think or we hope that if you come to uh, an art museum that's you know specifically designed for contemplation again for the sort of embodied perceptual experience that you'll take those skills with you and be able to use them when you're thinking about the objects on um, the shelf in your grandmother's house or absolutely uh, on the wall the painting on the wall that you walk by when you go to your doctor's office so you Mm -hmm. know to kind of extrapolate those themes but One of the things we were surprised by is in the virtual space, you know, I'm calling in today from my living room and I can see the objects around me and the the kind of, you know, the the spatial awareness that I have here. And when you're talking to somebody from the Guggenheim um, uh, who's, who's at home and sort of in their own space and you're in your own space, we actually bypass that need. To convene somewhere else and we can go directly at that issue mm-hmm. and so I think in the new in the future for us it's going to be a hybrid of nice literally meeting meeting people where they are which mm-hmm. is you know in their own spaces right we come to you practice, exactly practicing those skills that, that a museum environment is really well crafted oftentimes to produce which is a, you know a sense of contemplation a sense of awe a sense of wonder a sense of other people in space so we can do we can do both, and there's a really interesting interplay between them that we're learning more about as that, we figure out how to be. You know, that is a, a, amazing, and I love this.
1: Um, I'd love to continue this, but we are have to close down pretty soon, and the machine is going to cut me off. So um, I want <laughs> to thank you both, Beatrice Galilee, who is the founder and executive director of The World Around, and Cyra Levinson, who is deputy director, and Gail Engelberg, director of education and public engagement at the Guggenheim Museum, for talking to uh, to me today on Live Culture. Um, can we give the websites out again, please?
0: Um, Theworldaround.com is
2: our, uh, it's our website. Mm-hmm. And cyra And it's guggenheim.org for us. And you can also see on our YouTube channel all of the um all of the proceedings from our conference in January.
1: Oh, how fantastic. Yes. Okay, that's great. I want to thank you both so much for being on Live Culture with me today.
2: Thank you you. so much for inviting me. It's
1: been great. And listeners, please... for your questions. Oh, lovely to have you both. Bye-bye. So, listeners to Live Culture, I will be back again in one month for another program. And next we have Ina Chadwick with What a Story and Annette Seschel after that and Noah Cooper and then the A-List, um, so 7, and then at 10 o'clock, it's Dig In with Emma Spear. So there's a lot to listen to today. It is also the day of the Bridgeport Art Trail, and I will be heading off after this to City Lights Gallery, but there's all kinds of events going on at the Arcade as well. So maybe I'll see you there, But I hope that you will join me again next, the final Saturday of next month from 11 to 12 noon for Live Culture. Thank you so much, and goodbye.